Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, it's Christmas, Christmas Eve. I can't believe it's Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? For me, it feels like it just flew by, like just last week or a couple weeks ago, I was, you know, we were talking about 2023 and launching our, you know, uh, idea of, of catch the wind, this lift the sails, catch the wind theme for, the, for 2023. And here we are, last week of 2023, and it's awesome. You know, there's a lot of traditions around uh, Christmas time. Many of you have many different traditions. Some families do some things over other things. You emphasize more some things over other things. Um, like, for example, most of us, most of, you know, statistically 77% of U.S. households will put up a Christmas tree. How many of you have a Christmas tree up? You, you don't have to be shy. If you have a Christmas tree up, you can raise your hand. It's okay. It's like some people are like, it's a trick question. I'm not sure if I should raise my hand. It's not a trick question. You can raise your hand if you have a Christmas tree up. 77% of U.S. households um, put up a Christmas tree. They say also of that group that put up Christmas trees, 81% of them, okay, meaning not 19%, but 81% of them put up a fake, I mean, I'm sorry, artificial Christmas tree. <laughs> 19% put up real Christmas trees. Real Christmas. My wife told me to say that, by the way. And don't raise your hand, but I see you. I know 19% out there. who. I don't know why we do it, honestly. We go to Lowe's, like, Lowe's, I, I could just see it. In the, as we're checking out buying this Christmas tree that we've paid a lot of money for, that's gonna not last but a couple weeks. Um, I'm checking out, and the, and the girls look at me, just innocently look at me, are you like really, really rich? Or is it just that, you know, like those trees look nice. You don't have to even buy it ever again, you know, kind of attitude, you know. But nope, we have to have a real one. And my, my wife is diehard about a real Christmas tree. So, I won't know, because there's only 19% of you. I, I don't want to be in, in a minority here, but anyway. Other traditions that we have around Christmas is gift giving. Hopefully, you've already bought your gifts, right? They're all nicely wrapped under the tree. <laughs> there's a few of you, there's a few like, <clears throat> come on, Rich, hurry up. I got I to gotta get to Walgreens after church. <laughs> I, I traveled to uh, Quad Cities with a friend last year. It was like in the summertime of last year. And, uh, and we went to the Quad Cities for some meetings, and then, uh, and then he pulled out to pay. He, we were at Come and Go, and he pulled out this Come and Go card. Like, not a credit card, a gift card, and it had like a Santa on it. I'm like, Santa, Come and Go? In July? You know, just it makes sense, right? It was a, 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 like a gift card, Christmas gift card for Come and Go. And then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Just, you know, I can pay, I pay for my gas for this thing, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, you know? And in my mind, I didn't say this to somebody, in my mind's like, yeah, that was definitely a last minute Christmas, Christmas gift. They went, I said, oh, I forgot, Billy. Nothing's open except come and go. Let's go get him a gift card, you know? That's what happened. <laughs> so gift giving is another tradition. Another tradition is Christmas lights. That's kind of popular. Um, to put up Christmas lights. There's some people who really go over the top with Christmas lights, but like our neighbor right down the street here, I don't actually know their name. They're great people, Chris says. Chris knows them, but this is their, this is their front yard. You know, I mean, it's like inflatables and it's just all kinds of mixed Christmas themes here where you got Frosty a Snowman and Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse and 
the Grinch and Santa and, oh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know? Every once in a while I drive by there, though it's dark outside, I drive by and I notice that nothing's on. Like it's all in, just deflated, it's not on. And I'm thinking, probably the city of Corville's like, mm, too much power going to this sector of the, of the city, we gotta shut them down. You know, a little bit of load shedding going on right there. Now, this is, a, this is Christmas, but my attitude probably around Christmas lights is more like this. You got this beautiful Christmas house, and then this is my house. Right here, it's not lit, and it says, ditto. <laughs> that guy over there, you know? Like, when you know you're not gonna win, when it comes to Christmas lights, and, and this has really been, I'm being very honest with you, this has been my story. I just knew, I didn't wanna get up on my roof, I didn't wanna put up all these lights, I didn't wanna do all this stuff, put all the decorations out, only for my neighbor to just totally outshine me. So like, what? when you know you're not gonna win, just celebrate the other guy. That's what this guy's doing, you know? That's kind of how it is for us. So Christmas lights, that's popular, popular tradition. Another tradition I think that is a, a very common tradition, I think it's a very significant tradition, is nativity scenes. How many of you have a nativity scene, like in your home or in your front yard? A few of you, yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. I mean, I like, I like nativity scenes because in the middle of all of the other stuff that's going on, it's kind of focusing in on what Christmas really is all about, um, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna build a nativity scene here this morning. I'm gonna do it visually, graphically, instead of like actually, because you might not be able to see it otherwise. But you know, a nativity scene is essentially this, and no nativity scene... I mean, every nativity scene has to start with Jesus, right? So we have Jesus. He's going to be in the middle of this nativity scene. And he's, it's super important, right? This is really the focus of Christmas is Christ. We always say that Jesus is the reason for the season. You've heard us say those kind of things. But what's interesting is that he's in a manger. Last week we talked about a manger. It's just a, a pretty word for a feeding trough, basically, and so that's kind of a curveball, right? That, that God would send his son, the savior of the world, and he's not born in a palace. He's not born in some, you know, estate somewhere. He's actually born in a manger, in, in a, in a, in like a barn with a, a manger, which is a feeding trough. Curveball. And then every, you know, every nativity scene needs... You know, some other, there's other characters like some animals, right? You have animals, we talked about that. We sing poetically about the animals, like that song, the, cow, the, the cows are lowing. That's a poetic Christmas song that's sung. But all that means is that there was a cow in the delivery room. That's what that means. That's what that means. There's animals where Jesus was born. And then there's obviously, there's uh, other characters like Mary and Joseph. We have Mary and Joseph. We don't really know a whole lot about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were, what we know is that they were poor. We know that they were probably peasants in some way. Mary's just a teenage girl who's pregnant, about to give birth. We find in the story in Luke, we find that they are going back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem. There was a census. The Roman Empire had declared a, a year of census, so everybody had to go back to their hometown to be counted. And so if you read this, if you hear the story, the way we oftentimes assume the story is, is that because of the census, they showed up in their hometown and all the inns were full, like the Holiday Inn wasn't working and the Days Inn wasn't working and nothing was working for them because it was full. That's what we normally think about why Mary and Joseph 
having, Mary was having birth in a, in a, you know, like a little manger area. But I want you to think about this for a second. This is, this is Joseph's hometown. And Mary shows up and she's about, she's ready to deliver a baby. I mean, you would think if this is Joseph's hometown, like we assume there's no room, but you would think that if this is Joseph's hometown, that some relative would step up and say, hey, you know what, you're, you know what, take our room. You can have our room. We'll go sleep out, the, out, out in the shed. But that's not what happened. So it makes me wonder. We assume that there was no room, but maybe it wasn't really about whether there was availability or not. Maybe it's more about the, the scandal of it. It's a teenage pregnant girl who's not married, and now she's in their hometown, and all the relatives are like, I don't know what Joseph's into, man, but I don't really want to be associated with Joseph right now. Why don't you sleep out there? Again, it just it seems so strange for how the Son of God was entered into the world. And then, of course, every nativity scene has them shepherds. It's interesting about the shepherds is that they were the first, the angels appear, they were the first to actually hear the news that, that Jesus the Messiah was born. And what's interesting about that is that it's not what you would expect because shepherds were not just highly regarded people. In fact, Luke 2.10 tells us, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. And I think this word right here, to all people, is very important, especially when we're talking about shepherds. They weren't highly regarded. And I think what God, the point that God is trying to make is that if, if this good news is for shepherds, then it's got to be for everybody. Like this is good news for every single one of us in this room. Shepherds were not considered clean. The system had declared them to be unclean uh, ceremonially, but also like literally unclean because they, they stayed weeks on end out in, the, out in pastures with sheep and they smelled. They were so considered unclean that they weren't even allowed to testify in court. And yet, and yet something happened here. They were invited to the birth of the Son of God. What does that mean? What's God trying to say here? I think the point that God is trying to make is that Jesus is for everyone. He's not just for a select few. It's not good news of great joy for just the well-educated or the well-thought-of. He's for everyone. It's for all people. The fact that shepherds are there tells you and me that Jesus is for you and he's for me. There's also in this nativity scene, every nativity scene has some wise men. We'll just bypass the fact that the wise men actually didn't show up until like two years later, but bear with me, okay. <laughs> but there's, there's wise men in this nativity scene, and this is interesting because they're from like 800 miles away. They weren't really even part of the nation of Israel. They worshiped, they were Zoroastrians, meaning they, they, you know, red stars. They worshiped the sun and the stars. And so in the middle of all of their worship of sun and stars and maybe reading some of the prophecies of Daniel, they concluded that there was a Messiah being born. They traveled 800 miles to meet this Messiah. When you see this collection of people here, the sense I get, the feeling I get, is they belong. They belong here. 
I intentionally did some things, like I color-coded them here of sheep and green and shepherds and I don't know what color that is, purple or something like that. <laughs> Mary and Joseph are yellow, orange for the, for the magi or the wise men. To make the point that they were all different. They all came from various different backgrounds. But the point that Jesus is making is that everybody, like this is for everybody, everybody gets an invitation. Jesus came for everyone. That's the good news, right? And that's good news for you and I too because there's a lot of different people in this room right now. There's different nationalities, different backgrounds that you came from. In Wilton and Cedar Rapids, the same. Different races here. And Christmas is for everybody. So a few of you in this room are a little bit country. Others, others of you are a little bit rock and roll. I can see it. There's some of you here that, you know, you, you grew up Baptist. And then there's others of you that grew up Pentecostal. There's some of you who are Baptists who married a Pentecostal. We, we call you Bapticostals. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, actually, to be a Bapticostal. <clears throat> there's some of you who lean to the left politically. There's some of you who lean to the right politically. There's some of you here who are here who are single. There's some of you here who are married. There's some of you here who are single who want to be married. And of course, there's some of you here who are married who want to be single. That's, that's don't, don't, don't jab your husband, please. That's not good. <clears throat> there's some of you here that are divorced. There's some of you here that are widowed. There's some of you here that are very, very discouraged and you're feeling hopeless. There's some of you here that are battling with illness and you're afraid. There's others of you here that have an addiction and you've kind of kept it a secret, nobody knows, but you're walking around with a lot of guilt and shame. Like you don't want anybody to know this and kind of it's a reason why you feel discouraged to come to a place like this, like church. But can I say something to you? I'm glad that every single one of you are here because Christmas, Jesus is for every single one of us. And I hope that gets, I hope that gets burned into your heart this morning because the narrative that I often hear as a pastor is, yeah, Jesus loves all of them, but not me. That's what I hear all the time. But that's not true. Jesus loves every single one of us. Christmas is for you. It's for everyone. The Bible tells us that even though there's a lot of differences between us, like, like I said, there's different races, different belief systems, all that kind of stuff. Even though there's a lot of differences between us, there's one thing that we all have in common. And that is that we all need a savior. There's not a single one of you in this room that can say, hey, you know what? I'm of, a, I'm of a certain demographic. I don't really need Jesus. Well, I've got enough money. I don't need Jesus. Well, I've lived so, so holy all my life. I don't really need Jesus. No, every single one of us have fallen short of his standards. Every single one of us need a savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that God has given us this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And if we will just come to him, surrender our hearts and our lives to him, confess our sins, that he will then take that in exchange for that, he'll give you peace and joy and hope for a future. That's what Jesus does. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, we are sure that Christ died for who? For everyone. We all need Jesus and he died for every single one of us. He died for all. And so this nativity scene reminds us that we're all included. Every single one of us. Now, there's another character that really never really gets included in the nativity scene. I'm not talking about the Grinch. <laughs> um, you see, when Luke tells the, the Christmas story, he tells it from a human perspective. Like he's, he sees, you know, sheep and shepherds and the physical Jesus the baby and Mary and Joseph. And he tells it from a human perspective. But in Revelation 12, we find that John the Apostle actually tells it in, in, from a heavenly perspective. In John 12, he introduces a, a woman who is pregnant, about to give birth to a baby. And the illusion there is that it's Mary and Jesus. But then he also introduces another character we don't, like I said, we don't ever see in, in the nativity scene. And that's of this red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Let me give you a little bit of back, back story to this red dragon. Like this is kind of freaky nativity scene. It would have been worse actually earlier this week because I was sitting with Ben, ben Statler and we were talking about you know, this red dragon. He said, hey, I could do some AI stuff. And so he went on his computer and he typed in Revelations 12, red dragon, you know, uh, seven heads, ten horns. He did all of that, and it generated this really scary red dragon. And then he sent it to me. Like, he was giving me, you know, stuff so I could put in my message here. And, and then I started, I had it in there, and I had it in there, and it got all the way to, like, Thursday. And I'm like, man, I'm going to show that picture, and all the kids are going to run out of the room screaming, you know. So I decided to tone it down a little bit and gave you a little bit more of a gentler red dragon, and I get, I get it. You see this and you're like, wait a minute, Rich. That doesn't make any sense. I've never heard of this Christmas story. In the story, in Revelation 12, what you find is that this dragon is desperate. He's desperate to take out this child. He doesn't want this, this woman to give birth. She, he doesn't want the, 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 the child to be born. And so he's desperate. So it begs the question, why does a dragon not want the baby to be born? And the answer is very simple. It's because that baby being born is actually a dragon slayer. That's why he has come, to slay the dragon. And so he's doing everything he can to stop it. He's desperate to stop this from happening. Now, I realize you're sitting here and you're like, I just visited this church for the very first time. What church are we in? I've never, I've never seen a, a nativity scene like this. I get the sentiment. Like showing this dragon in a nativity scene feels a bit uncomfortable. Like it shouldn't really be there, right? And yet it's as real as it can be. It's what's happening behind the scenes. And so in the middle of all of our Christmas festivities, in the middle of all of our traditions, the lights, the candy canes, Christmas trees, the, the carols, the cards, all the things that we do around Christmas, we need to stop for just a second and recognize that there is an enemy. You have an enemy. 
And Jesus was born to destroy that enemy, to destroy evil, death, and darkness. In fact, John 10, Jesus explains it this way. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it. This is the life he wants to have, to the full. I love this language here. This is not just biological life, okay? All of us, I hope all of us are alive, right, here in this room. It's not just biological life. It's not even life where, hey, the bank accounts look good. It's not just simply, hey, I'm fit, I'm running, I have physical health. This kind of life is characterized much bigger than that. It's something that Jesus has come to give us, something that helps us overcome hell, death, and a grave. It's life to the full, he says. It's a kind of life that can only be found in Christ. But you'll notice something. I've been putting this passage up, and maybe you haven't noticed it up to this point, but for the last four weeks now, actually three weeks now, but leading into this text, there's this ellipsis. You know, you know in grammar, the ellipsis, the three dots. Basically, that just indicates that there was something before this, like this is only part of the statement. There was something before it that, you know, we considered not necessarily germane to what we're trying to say, not, not, not as important to what we want to say. And so oftentimes it gets left out. Like you see the ellipsis, you know, something's been left out. And sometimes it's not important, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it actually does change the meaning a bit. And I think in this case, that's very true. So we're going to read the whole text. John 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus then responds, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so when Jesus talks about this full life, he's doing it in the context of the fact that there's an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take your life. Another way of saying this is that the dragon has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but the dragon slayer has come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus has come to do, is to give you full life. The Bible warns us about this reality of an enemy. I realize, I, you hear me, and I'm talking about Satan, I'm talking about the devil, and listening to all that, and you're like, Rich, isn't it a little bit naive to think that there is this devil? Like, you know, you get this cartoon picture of the devil. You know, he's got the long tail and the horns and red and little pitchfork and, you know, normally appears on somebody's shoulder. <laughs> You're like, eh, that's, kids believe that, but we don't need to believe that. But I want to challenge you on that. I've traveled quite a bit. In fact, a few years ago, I was in Calcutta, India, and I went into the temple of Kali there. Um, thousands upon thousands of people were there. I walked in. There was long lines of people trying to get in. We walked in, and then we started walking into the temple itself. It's like a spire thing, and it goes in circles, and it just kind of walks, kind of goes around in circles all the way to the top, and then you can wind back down, come back down out of it. Idols all along the way. Most of the idols were representative of death and destruction, I would look in the eyes of some of the people there and I could tell they were clearly possessed by something. <clears throat> and so I would submit to you that if you, believe, if you do not believe that there is a devil, then maybe you're being a little bit naive. All you have to do is just look around a little bit. Look around at the violence and the destruction that's happening. Look around at the state of the family. And you finally just conclude that, that there is a devil. 
and he wants to destroy your life. There's a lot of ways in which the, the, the Bible describes Satan. He describes as a liar, for example. The Bible warns us that we have, been, we have this enemy who is a deceiver. He's constantly telling lies. In fact, it's his native tongue to lie. So when the enemy talks to you, just know automatically, you don't even have to, you don't have to question, just know automatically, this is a lie. This is a lie. He loves to lie. He loves to, to tell you things. In fact, I think this is really what temptation is. Temptation is that the, Satan comes to you and tells you something and promises you something that really at the end of that, of that road, it doesn't deliver. Like you start hearing it and you're like, yeah, this is good for me. I need this. I need to get out of this relationship. Get in that relationship. That one's better for me. And you pursue it and then you get to the end of that and you realize, oh man, this is not what I expected. Didn't deliver. He's a liar. He loves to tell you that you're missing out. He loves to convince you to be self-centered, to make your life all about pleasure. These are all lies. Lies. The enemy is also a distractor. He wants to distract you. Often when we think of evil, we think of like this uh, horrible, immoral act, you know? Something very, very dis disgusting and terrible. When we think of that, and it's true, that is evil. But often evil can be, dis can be characterized as distractions as well. Like to keep us from thinking about what really matters. The enemy wants to do that. He wants to distract you so you're not asking the bigger questions of life. Like, what is my purpose here on earth? Why am I here? We, we don't always answer that question or we answer that question with somehow making it about the material things around us. Or questions like, what's gonna happen to me after I die? What will happen to my children after I die? You know, those kind of questions, the bigger questions of life. The enemy will distract us from Asking those questions, it's just distractions. It's the game playing, it's the internet surfing, it's the social media scrolling, it's the YouTubing, it's the TikToking, it's the binge watching, the right swiping, the career chasing, bar hopping, rule keeping, politic, you know, obsessed with politics. These are all just distractions. Well, the enemy wants you to focus in on that so you're not asking the bigger question. Why am I here? Who am I supposed to be? The Bible also describes our enemy as a discourager, one who discourages or constantly accuses you, reminds you of things that you've said or done, constantly telling you you're just not, you're not good enough. Look at the, you're in this, there are some of you probably heard this one, but you might even be hearing it right now. You're sitting here right now and the enemy's whispering into your ear saying, yeah, remember what you did last night? Why are you here? Saw how you talked to your wife last night? Why are you here? You're not worth being here. He loves to discourage us, to pull us down. And then he uses another tactic. The other tactic is he loves to talk, you know, smack about God. God doesn't care about you. You're not good enough for God. You're not holy enough to be part of this thing. 
This is constant discouragement. So, and so for everyone who's, who this Christmas finds himself in living with some kind of discouragement or some kind of deception or you're living in some kind of darkness or you're distracted in some way, here's what you need to hear. The Christmas story is for you. It is good news of great joy for you because Jesus the dragon slayer has taken out the dragon. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's clear we find here in, in Revelation stories that the dragon has been defeated. Revelation 12 7 says, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, then he identifies who this great dragon is, the ancient serpent. So he goes all the way back to the beginning of time, says, He's that serpent. Remember in the garden? That's who he is. Or called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the world. That's what he's actively doing. He's deceiving you. That's what he's doing. Was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. So there's a lot going on in this passage, but what matters most in this passage is that the dragon has been destroyed. He's been slain. He's been defeated. He fails to destroy the woman. He fails to stop the baby from being born. He fails to defeat Michael and his angels. The victory is won. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. Because the victory, that child in a manger is just declaring victory to this world. In fact, I'm going to fast forward to Easter a little bit. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. (laughs) It wasn't Jesus saying, oh man, I'm done. I'm going to die. That's not what Jesus was saying when he said it is finished. He was saying it is finished because once and for all, once and for all, he is defeated. And those who call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are victorious. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus did. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Now, we know that he's, the dragon is lost. We know he's defeated. But he's a sore loser. He really is. In fact, in Revelation 12, 12, says he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Like he's been defeated and now what he, with whatever time he has left, he's hell-bent on bringing as much death and destruction to this earth and to you as he can possible. Until one day Jesus comes and says, enough. It's over, right? In verse 17, it says, and the dragon was angry and the woman... And the woman at the, at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. Dragon was angry and declared war against the rest of her children. Like this is true. Shouldn't we warn them? Like shouldn't we say, who are these kids? Who are the ones that, that are gonna that there's this war has been declared against? But then John answers that question. All who keep God's commands and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Those are the ones. And it makes me realize that that's us. He's declared war on you. He's declared war on me. But what's clear out of Revelation is that he's defeated. And the victory has been won. Jesus has won the victory. And that changes everything. Like if we operate from a position where, man, there's this devil, he's against you, and and you you can win or lose. No. It changes everything to know that he has already lost and you have the victory. It changes how you live. Shouldn't it change how you live? 
It changes how intentional you are about your life. It should should change how we think about the life that we're living, that we're not on a playground, we're actually on a battleground. And that we need to live intentionally for Christ. It should also change how we think, you know, we should have like an expectancy because Jesus came, he's coming again. We're not just here to celebrate that Jesus came, but we're here to anticipate that he is coming again, that he is gonna return. And that's part of the Christmas story as well. Now, knowing how this story ends, shouldn't it change how you live today? Like if I said to you, like if a doctor said, not me, but if a doctor said to you, hey, you got this terminal illness, you may have a year or two. Wouldn't it change what you start doing the next day? Wouldn't you say to yourself, I need to do something different? Like, you, you, like your, your boss calls, hey, you didn't show up at work. I don't care about work anymore, right? I wanted to use a, the analogy of like, yeah, you know, change how you feel about deer hunting. But then I thought, no. Some of you would be like, yeah, more deer hunting now because I'm going to be gone in a year. So, you know what I'm saying? But it changes how you think when you know how it ends. We know how it ends. So it changes. It should change how we think. Amen? Because Jesus is coming again, and he's given us the victory. I want to ask us all to stand. Our campus pastors are going to be taking over in their respective campuses. I just want to ask you this question. So what is God speaking to you this morning? How do you deal with this? I mean, we just talked about the nativity scene and all the elements in the nativity scene, the the sheep, the, the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph and all of them. And the point made there is that basically Christmas is for everyone. But then in this nativity scene is introduced the red dragon. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been inflicted, you've been affected, you've been impacted by the red dragon in your life. There's some of you, there's a friend here in this room right now that could say, yeah, for years I was bound up by the red dragon. Jesus came in and gave me the victory. <clears throat> so what are you going to do with that? Can we just pray a prayer now and just kind of end the service and then go back to business as usual tomorrow? Or do we make a decision this morning to not, more, to not be business as usual anymore? step into the life that he has called us. He's called us a life to the full. When Jesus came, I mean, Jesus is coming again. And when he came the first time, he came one way. But when he comes again, he's going to come very differently. When he came the first time, he came as a baby in weakness. When he comes again, he's going to come in strength and power. When he came the first time, he came as a servant. When he comes again, he's going to be a sovereign ruler. When he came the first time, he came as a lamb. When Jesus comes again, he's coming as a lion, the lion of Judah. When he came the first time, he came born in a manger, a little baby born in a manger. But when Jesus comes again, he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Every knee will bow. Like what the, what the author there says, like not, 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 
you get a chance to bow then. No, you will bow. Whether you believe it or not, you will bow at that point. And so the question is to ask ourselves now, if I know how it ends, then what do I do now? Now I make a decision to live for Christ. And so I'm asking you to make a commitment here this morning if you've never done that before. There's some of you that came in here and you came with friends or family that invited you and you're a good person. I'm not, there's no, it's not about being a good person, not a good person. It's not like good people that are not making it into heaven. <laughs> it's not about that. But you came with a family or a friend, a friend and you've kind of leaned on being a good person to cross your fingers. Maybe Jesus will take me in. Today it's really about saying, Jesus, I surrender my life and my heart to you. I just give you my life. And so we're going to pray here in a second. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you in your own words. Because I know when I say, pray this prayer, you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. Here's all you have to do is just be honest with the Lord. Just be honest with him. Tell him, hey, God, you've... You've seen what I've been doing for the last two years, and it's just a mess. It's destroying my family. And God, I need you. Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you take me in? God, you know that I'm stuck in this addiction, and I don't even know how to break out of it. Will you help me? I repent. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and empower me to get, break out of this thing. God, you know that I thought wealth and fame and all that stuff is going to make me happy and I've been going down that path but I'm just not happy there's something missing inside and I need you will you forgive me of my sin just an honest prayer amen and then we'll conclude Father we just want to thank you we thank you this morning for Christmas that first Christmas where you sent your son as a child though he came as a child, we know that he's coming back as a conquering king. And we don't want to wait for that day. We want to be ready now. Now. So Jesus, will you forgive us of our sin this morning? We repent of our sin. We accept you as our Lord and our Savior. We accept you as our master. We surrender our hearts completely over to you we ask you to lead us and guide us, Lord, in our life. Lord, we know that by surrendering our lives to you, as we surrender our hearts to you, you in exchange will give us peace, joy, and a hope for the future. So right now, Father, we confess our sins and we accept you as our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name.